Tonight I want to explore a little bit more uh, what I began speaking about on the opening night when I offered the teaching or the instruction on welcome everything, push away nothing. And some people have been touched by that and for some reason it's just been kind of rolling around in my awareness over the last days. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just go a little bit more deeply into that. Because really when we feel into what that means, this welcoming everything, push away nothing, we're really pointing to a quality of openness, a way of being open to ourselves and to any way that experience is revealing itself. And I think that many of you are getting a sense of this, of what this actually means and what this feels like, to be so open. It's a very beautiful quality of the heart, of the mind. And in some ways, it's actually an expression of metta or loving kindness. This openness is really this love that is welcoming all things, that is embracing all things, not pushing away anything, a quality of acceptance, of allowing. Metta, metta really means, uh, one way of talking about metta is a deep friendship with all things. This love that is able to be in deep friendship with everything. And so I really want to look more at that tonight. You know, actually this quality of love, this quality of openness, this welcoming attitude of mind. And I think it's a good night to explore this because you've all had an opportunity now over these days to really sense what it's like to both welcome and also to push away. You really know that, don't you? It's like, I don't want this experience. I don't want this to be happening. I want something else to happen. You know, whatever that is, whatever way that's shown up for you over these days, it happens, right? That's, the, that's what we get into. We get into this struggle with reality, this struggle with the way life is showing itself. We like certain experiences. We don't like other experiences. And yet, what the teachings really point to is exploring that liking and that disliking directly to see what that's actually about and see if we can actually come to the end of this kind of struggle with what we want and what we'll, with what we don't want. I mean, we're going to have these kinds of preferences, certainly, but what we're looking at in these teachings is the struggle that we get into is how he was talking about last night, this dukkha, the, uh, the suffering or the unsatisfactory nature of our experience. And the whole of the Buddhist teachings is about coming to the end of this, really coming to the end of this. And I think that we all like that message very much. Yes, we want to come to the end of this, the end of this struggle, the end of this pain, the end of this dukkha that we so often experience in ourselves. 
for in the beginning of my practice for some years actually I was asking a question of myself and it was a persistent question and I remember for a couple of years just really wanting to know the answer to this question and the question was where is the joy in my practice where is the joy in my practice because what I kept experiencing was a default position of unhappiness I would have lots of wonderful meditative experiences when I would be on retreat along with not so wonderful experiences as well but I would have very beautiful uh, uh, joy and bliss and love and connection and many experiences that you have had while you've been here and then I would go home or uh, even later in the day or something something would change and I would land back in this unhappiness and particularly when I went home there seemed to be more persistent unhappiness than happiness more persistent kind of angst or some anxiety than feeling some kind of joy and so and then sometimes my practice would get really dry because I would just you know let go let go let go but it's like well but what's there after you let go you know and it's like where is this joy and the joy that we hear about you know we hear the the stories of all the you know the great masters and the buddha and you know the, the stories how, how the story how we told last night how he's actually over there but i keep looking over there because i keep somehow <laughs> expecting him to be over there he's over there <laughs> you turned around (laughs) and you hear these stories you know and and James is teaching this awakening joy class you know and it's you know where's the joy and it took me a very very long time to understand what the problem was why I wasn't actually feeling the joy and it's still working on me I'm still waking up to this truth and this fact it's not like I've overcome it but it's this what I've what I understand now is that I was trying to seek joy or find joy or run after joy and when I do that I'm leaving here I'm leaving now I'm leaving my experience that's right here so how can I actually come into what I'll call tonight true joy, the true joy of, of, the, of the freedom from our habitual tendencies and our, our, uh, our, our confusion? The true joy if I'm not actually here because I'm not going to find it over there. You know, I'm not going to find it over there. I'm only going to find whatever I'm looking for right here. And I can see how I perpetuated that seeking and that wanting. And I was always looking in the wrong place. I was looking how my friends seemed to be joyful or how, you know, my teachers seemed to be joyful or other people did, but not me. It was almost like my mantra, not me everybody else but not me 
Anybody else had that? Have that sometimes? You know. <laughs> yeah, and and so there's a sense of looking in the wrong place. Looking in the wrong place. It's not out there. It's it's. My, I understand now that I was looking really for some kind of idea of joy. Because until I truly feel it and know it and have a direct experience for myself, how will I know? How will I recognize it? Because it's always some kind of idea. It's always some kind of fantasy in some way. And of course, those kind of teachings and those kind, you know, the, the, the people who are actually manifesting those joy, that joy are beautiful models for us for what's possible. But if I keep leaning out, keep leaning out of myself and wanting what's over there, what I see in somebody else, how am I going to really discover the true joy that only lives within my own being, lives within my own heart, the joy that I am, the joy that I am when I really can let go, when I can let go of that wanting through my images or my ideas or my expectations, but to come back. And so much of this teaching and this practice is about the coming back. You've heard us say this over and over, come back. Just come back. Notice when you're thinking. Notice when you're caught in your uh, uh, memories and your plans and your fantasies and your ideas. And notice that in that moment and then return back. Reconnect with the breath or the body, with the sense of being here in this present moment. And see what's here. Then see what opens up for you. And so this leaning, this looking away, looking outside of ourselves, which is the habit, that is the habit that somehow we're going to find it over there. <coughs> there's a, there's an old, old Sufi master teacher called Mala, Mala Nasruddin. There's lots of stories about him, and they're teaching stories and wonderful stories. And there's this one story where he's outside under a light post looking for his keys at night. And somebody comes along and says, Mala, Mala, what are you doing? And he says, I'm looking for my keys. And he said, well, where did you lose them? And he said, oh, I think I lost them in the house. But then, Mullah, why are you looking under the lamppost if you think the keys are in your house? And he says, well, there's more light out here. You know, it's like it's some confusion there. We're looking in the wrong place. So the, the whole of this practice is this turn in, look, look in, turn back because of this habit of looking out. And then when we look out, the expectation and the comparing and the judging and the wanting, and it's all out there. In the meditative path, we take this opportunity to turn in so that we can start to see more how these idealized views of the way we want things to be become less substantial, less real. We see how they're not going to bring us the satisfaction that we really want. Many people have actually mentioned that. They're tired of that that reaching out, that seeking, that wanting, that leaving themselves, they're tired. 
you're tired. You want to come back. And, and we know that the doorway to real joy, to real happiness, to real freedom is here, is here. When we get caught in these idealized views of what we think is possible for us, we use, oftentimes what happens is the comparing, when we compare, well, well it, it should be this way, or it could be this way, or I could be this way, and I'm not. What happens is we kind of fall back. We go to, well, something must be wrong with me. It's a kind of the default position. I'm wrong. Something must be wrong with me. My experience must be wrong. My life is wrong. You know, we can really expand that out. And there's just this kind of central core idea that just keeps getting reinforced again and again and again that something, something about me is wrong. And then sometimes when we don't want to go there, we don't go that I'm wrong, we want to find something else that's wrong. So it's, some, it's wrong out there, you know, like the Buddha is wrong. Those teachings, what is he talking about anyhow? You know, or God is wrong. You know, we'll blame God, you know, or blame the world. Something's wrong. <laughs> and then we don't, we, we're, we're trying to find, you know, where the problem has to be somewhere because something feels wrong. And then we get into a whole kind of fixing. We want to we know what the problem is, find the problem, and then fix it. And then the, the whole orientation can be this kind of fixing mon- mentality of this problem that may not even be so real. Maybe nothing's wrong. <laughs> Maybe you're not wrong. Maybe your experience isn't wrong. Maybe everything is unfolding just as it needs to in some kind of mysterious way that we may not be able to fully comprehend. It may be too much for our small, limited minds to comprehend the nature of this reality as it is. One thing that we have seen, we're starting to explore, and Howie again talked about this last night, is this fundamental characteristic of reality that everything is changing moment to moment to moment. That everything that comes into birth and is born into being dies away, passes away. And in that is how I was speaking last night, that we see that there's actually nothing that's stable in conditioned reality because of this changing nature. And yet the tendency is to keep trying to find something that is stable, something that is going to stay in place, like an experience or a relationship or a job or our house or our bodies, our health. You know, but yet what we find is actually the reality is that we're in this very transitory, changing experience moment to moment to moment. We don't have to go far to see that, 
to know that. We can see here, of course, in your meditation, through the days, you can see how things have changed. The, the weather changes a lot. You know, you, you're hungry, then you're not hungry. You're tired and you're not tired. You're anxious and then you're wide open and loving. And, you know, minds change, bodies change, the external environment changes all the time, moment to moment. And then we can look and see our bodies, how much our bodies have changed. If you think back to how many years, 50 years or 40 years or 60 years, you've probably changed a lot. (laughs) You're not that little one anymore. We've grown up, we've changed, and we keep changing. The body is decaying, the body is degenerating, and we're going to die because all things that are born pass away. That's the nature of reality. This is from, this was cut out a long time ago. It's one of the favorite things that uh, we sometimes read on retreats. It's the obituary pages. The obituary pages tell us of the news that we are dying away while the birth announcements in fine print at the side of the same page informs us of our replacements. But we get no grasp from this of the enormity of the scale. There are about a billion of us on earth and all billion, oh, sorry, seven billion of us on earth and all seven billion will be dead on schedule. The vast mortality involving something over eight million each year takes place in relative secrecy. Less than a half a century from now, our replacements will have more than doubled in numbers. It's hard to see how we can continue to keep the secret with such multitudes doing the dying. We will have to give up the notion that death is a catastrophe or detestable or unavoidable or even strange. We will need to learn more about the cycling of life in the rest of the system and more about our connection to the whole process. This nature, this nature that we are, we are of the same nature as everything Everything that comes into being, everything that comes into manifestation, passes away, dissolves away. But yet we live with this illusion of some kind of stability. You know, in this country particularly, we have become very, very efficient at creating systems that work. And then we get very surprised when things don't work for some strange reason because there's some expectation that there's going to be be continuity, there's going to be stability, there's going to be uh, consistency, but that's not the way things work. But yet, because in this country we've become so expert at this, we can kind of forget that things actually are breaking and fall away. Now, all you have to do is go to India, you know, another country where I've spent a lot of time, and that, to- that illusion totally gets broken up because nothing works. There's nothing very efficient. I mean, what you have, I, I, if you need to go to the bank to change money, 
you sort of expect that there'll be someone there to help you. Not necessarily. It might be their lunch break and they may not show up for another three or four hours. So what do you do about changing money? You just sort of have to wait around until that system kicks in again. Or the great thing is what really breaks up the illusion are the trains. Because you sort of expect that a train is going to be somewhat on time. But in India, you sort of expect, well, you sort of expect or wonder whether the train will ever arrive. You know, whether that particular train will actually show up. One time there's a story where a train was on time. And people, (laughs) there's actually a story about this, and people were amazed and surprised. Oh my gosh, this train actually arrived on time. And then the buzz started going around and and it was found out that actually the train was 24 hours late. Is like this, so so we we just get into a kind of illusion about this this efficiency or this stability, and we also living in this country have a sense of privilege. Many of us, not all of us, we have some sense of privilege that things will work, that things will function, that we will have what we want. And then when we don't have it, there can be a kind of a self righteousness. Uh, self-anger and a sense of, of, of upset. Why aren't things happening the way I want them to happen? And this is a sense of privilege. But we don't see that. We don't know that. We, it's like it's hidden from us that we have this sense of privilege because most people on this earth don't have that. There's a, there's a sense of, you know, uh, for many, many people, uh, uh, cultures and civilizations, they're living very close to the earth in the natural cycle of things. And there's much more connection with the way things are. But we, we miss that. We, we forget that. Welcoming everything and pushing nothing away, this quality of openness. Because the truth is that we, when we hold on when we grab on, we, we suffer. It's painful. And we don't recognize what, where that pain is actually arise, arriving from. I love this poem from Edgar Allan Poe. Because I think it really expresses sort of the, the real emotion of our dilemma here. He says, I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? Oh God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? The grains of sand are just going through the hand. Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? We can't. We try to grasp, we try to hold on, but it doesn't seem like anything's there. When I was reflecting um, on this talk tonight, I remembered a story when I was on a three-month retreat at the Insight Meditation Society and my sister center on the East Coast. 
it was in the middle of the retreat in the earlier years of my practice, and all around the center are are woods. It's in the it's in the central Massachusetts, and lots and lots of of, uh, of woods. And uh, even though they have some maps about how to kind of navigate some of the paths in the woods, I was in it was in the middle of a three month retreat, and I was very quiet and very still, and I just wanted to go out into the woods in this state. And so I was walking out and walking out and really enjoying the nature and the surroundings. And, and I was feeling a little adventurous. You know, sometimes that's how you get when you've sat a long time. It's like, okay, let's have a little adventure. <laughs> so I was just feeling, and I just kept going a little further than maybe I should have. And it was about maybe five o'clock. It's uh, getting, it's uh, November. The, the sun is sets a little bit earlier in, the, in that part, that time of the year. I was getting a little bit dark and hazy, and then I realized I was lost. I was the whole time that I was out there. I was, fair, you know, really feeling this quality of openness and mindful and happy and satisfied and having my little adventure. And and then, and then it was time to turn around. It was like I don't know how to get back. I had not a clue. So I'm <laughs> out in the woods about a, a half an hour or so, looked one way, the other way, the other. It just all looked the same. I had no idea how to go back. And so the, my mind shifted very quickly, as you can imagine, from kind of a serenity and an ease and a calm to panic. It's like, and then the mind starts, right? What am I going to do? Nobody's going to find me. I'm going to be here for days, you know, and what am I? I don't have any food and I don't have any water and, and it's getting dark and it's night and I'm in, you know, here I am, you know. And so that's a great opportunity, is it not? Especially when you're <laughs> on a meditation retreat and you have the opportunity, okay, here it is. Things have changed. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect this. I didn't ask for it. Maybe a little bit. Maybe I really wanted an adventure. I still feel that somewhat. I think I kind of set it up a little bit because I was a little bored, I think. So, <laughs> so you have to be careful what you, what you do when you're bored. So I was you know, really in the state for just a, a little bit. And then, then I thought, okay, get centered. How are you going to get yourself out of this? I thought, the sun. I know where the sun is located around the center. I know whether I know that it's behind the center. So let me just f- see if I can find the sun somewhere. And just in the haze, just as it was starting to get dark and the sun was setting, I saw the sun. And I knew that the center was somewhere over there where the sun set. And I just went for the sun. And so it took me about 20 minutes or so to get back. And of course, when I went back into the center, nobody's talking, right? It's completely silent. So here I just had this huge adventure. (laughs) And I walk back in, and of course, it's time to meditate. I go and I sit in the hall with everybody, and I sit on my cushion. Everybody's very silent, and I'm thinking, I just had this huge adventure... Now I'm back here sitting on my pillow as if nothing happened. 
And where is it anyhow? It's like, where is that adventure? It's just a memory. It's just in my mind. It's like I want to talk about it. I'd love to tell somebody, wow, I got lost and I found my way. And, you know, you want to share your stories and share your excitement, but there was nobody I could talk to. So I sat down, went back into my meditation. And it was just this like, what happened to the adventure? Where is it? Is this, is it it's like a dream now. I can't hold on to it. I can't find it. I didn't even pick up a stone or anything. You know, that I could say, well, this was, you know, I found this on my path. I didn't have anything. I had nothing. And this is, this is what, what happens. You know, we, we, the, we, these things make an impression. Certainly we have the impression. It wasn't like nothing happened. But I couldn't find it. It was like, where is it? It was this, and I couldn't do anything with it. I couldn't even, like, make a big story about it with somebody else. You know how we love to do that, but it was like, I was left completely empty-handed. I mean, I could have rolled it around in my own mind for a while and got a little bit more joy and, you know, excitement, but that wasn't really much fun. <laughs> so it's just this sense of, where is it? And isn't it like that? Isn't our, our life is really like that in so many ways when we really look at it. Where is it? Where are all those days and those years and those, all those experiences that we've had? Where, where's lunch? You know, <laughs> it's probably completely digested now. You know, it's taken a whole different form, right? It's... <laughs> Where is it? You know, and the happiness or the, you know, the dislike or the not wanting, you know, I mean, where is all of that? It's just, is it like a dream, like Edgar Allan Poe says, is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream. And I love that kind of the dream within a dream. Because what's this? <laughs> Is this, what's this? Does this have all that substance, that reality that we give it? This too will pass. This too will change. So last night, Howie was talking about these fundamental characteristics of reality. He talked about the changing nature, anicca, these great insights of the Buddha. Anicca, how, how experience is changing constantly. And if we hold on, if we try to grasp on how we suffer, how that, that's what gr- brings this, this sense of dissatisfaction, this unsatisfactory nature. And yet when we actually look, what we're, look at what we're holding on to, where is it? What is it? We can't find it. It doesn't seem, it, it, it has substance for a while, yeah. Like this, it feels hard, it, it has a sound, we call it a bell, it has substance. It may last a lot longer than a lot of other things are going to last, but it's not going to last forever. And so in that way, it is insubstantial. It doesn't have, it doesn't have its own existence because it comes together, it passes away. And it's dependent on everything else. Is dependent on 
the person who designed it, it's dependent on the, uh, the, the metals, it's dependent on somebody hearing it for it to have effectiveness, dependent on so many things. All these conditions come together and pass away. So we start to have a sense of this more and more as we open, as we open. And we can see then as we start to open how we want to hold on and create some kind of stability and and some kind of solidity and also pleasure and comfort. We want to, we want to, uh, arrange our life or try to create our life in some kind of way that's going to give us that satisfaction. And on some level, it's okay. On some level, that's fine. And yet, if we're holding on to that, if we're grasping on to that, ultimately, we're going to feel the pain of that because it's going to change, it's going to dissolve, it's going to shift. And so that means for all of our experience, whether it's external, the things we want, the people we love, uh, uh, the things we have around us, or whether it's our internal experiences, they change, they come and go. Sometimes we are blissful and happy and connecting and loving and really feel that quality of openness. And sometimes we just feel really contracted and grumpy and angry and depressed and sad and and that changes too if we really look at it that's not stable our inner experience isn't solid isn't stable it's shifting it's changing and so understanding this it may be possible to allow, be more allowing, be more accepting of what's arising, of what's passing. And in this way, we start to get out of some of our fixed ideas, our fixed images about how we think we're supposed to be or other people are supposed to be or how this reality is supposed to be. The more we can allow all the different manifestations of our mind and our emotions and our body and sensations and meditative experiences and life experiences. All of this is really what brings the richness and the texture and the aliveness and the vitality because this is the way nature expresses itself. In all of this diversity and all of these different ways of manifesting, all these incredible variations and changes and impressions and forms, and there's, there's incredible possibility and creativity and diversity in experience, in reality. And there's space for it all. There's space for it all. There's room for it all. All the expressions, all the manifestations. 
And yet we can so easily start to, out of our ideas, we want it like this. I want my experience to be like this. I want to be like this. I want other people to be like this. And then we, we get caught in these fixations. So sometimes if we're really truthful, if we're really honest, yes, there's anger. Yes, there's a sense of betrayal. Yes, there's hurt. Because things happen. There are events. There are events that happen and they're painful and they're hurtful and they're challenging and they're difficult. And that's part of life. And those events are going to have an impact like being born. <laughs> That's an event that has an impact, right? There's a, there's a teaching that one of my, uh, my uh, Tibetan teachers gave, and I wanted to fit it in here because it's such an important teaching for me, and I often uh, talk of, use it sometimes when I'm speaking to people individually. But it's about how, how events have an impact, but we can let go of the event and stay with the way that we have been impacted because that's life itself. And he used the example of a bell. He said, he said the events that happen in our life are like when you strike a bell. There's a strike. And in, and in order for that event to happen, conditions had to come together for that for that particular manifestation. And so he struck the bell. It's like, that's the event. But the ring, I've already put down the striker. And there's still the ring. The, event's pa- the event of me striking that bell is over. There's still the ringing. There's still the impact of that event. Still the ringing. That's life. Things happen, and then we're affected by it, and there's a ringing. And then something else happens, there's a ringing. But can we be with both the event when it happens, and also after the event, we put it down, and then we just stay with the present moment unfolding of the impact of that event. That's how life manifests. And from that is how we learn, and we grow, and we develop, because we stay present with that, and life unfolds. Life unfolds. Welcoming everything, not pushing anything away. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. You're not wrong. The experience isn't wrong. Life isn't wrong. Not wrong. It's life. It's the way it happens here. It's the way things unfold here in this realm, in this reality. wanted to read this teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh's wonderful Zen master, his uh, words on mindfulness. And again, it sort of points to this 
allowing and this opening of very difficult things in our life and how they need not to be pushed away. He says, looking deeply helps us to recognize, to realize things that we have not realized before. In the past three years, we have been bringing groups of Israelis and Palestinians to Plum Village, where we live and practice, to support their practice. We've learned a lot from them also. When they arrive, they're always, they always bring with them a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of suspicion. They could not talk to each other because everyone has a lot of suspicion and anger and fear in himself or herself. The groups of Israelis and Palestinians, when they arrive, are introduced to the practice of mindful breathing and mindful walking right away. The practice helps to generate the energy of mindfulness so they can recognize and embrace their fear, their anger, their suspicion, their despair. We do it together with the support of the international community of meditation. The Jews and the Palestinians practice sitting together, eating mindfully and silently together, walking together, breathing together for a number of days, seven days, eight, nine days. Every day they listen to a Dharma talk in order to receive the teachings on how to do the practice of mindfully recognizing their fear, mindfully recognizing their anger, their suspicion, their despair, and how to embrace them and how to treat them with non-violence and non-duality, non-separation, not creating separation. About 10 days are necessary for each of them to be able to see more clearly. 10 days, how beautiful. Especially when the anger and the fear has become collective. And when, uh, when anger and fear become collective, it's extremely dangerous for our nation and for our world. That is why we should practice not only as individuals, but also as communities, as nations. It's not wrong. These are real, real issues, real challenges for our human communities. And the more that we can practice this way of being together, this as Thich Nhat Hanh says, mindfully breathing together, even if it's just two, even if it's just two, mindfully breathing together, mindfully walking together, embracing what's here, whatever it is, this is what brings about the healing, this is what brings about the transformation. This is what really heals the heart, both individually and collectively, for ourselves and for our world. So this is what we're practicing. This is what we're practicing together. A yogi today, in the interview, I asked him whether I could have permission to report something that he had said, but I, I just appreciated it so much. And I said, could I, could I, if, is it all right if I mention it in the Dharma talk? He said, yeah, we'll, we'll set up the fee structure later. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> but he had he had heard Howie's Howie's uh, poem, Hafiz's poem last night. Um, when uh, Howie read the poem about uh, "Don't surrender your loneliness, your loneliness so quickly, let it cut cut more deep, let it ferment." and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Right? So we were talking about that last night, too. And this, this yogi said, it, he thought what he had heard was marinate. Right? Marinate your loneliness. And I thought, yes, that's exactly it. That's what we need to do to marinate in our experience. And I was walking before and I go, yeah, I, I think I even want to call this talk that, you know, marinating in your experience, you know, really letting it, letting it season, you know, this, this uh, culinary kind of language for ourselves, for our experience. And that's really what, what we're, what we're attempting to invite you into is this kind of soaking or marinating or <laughs> fermenting, you know. And, and all those words imply a kind of time. It takes time. But we get so impatient, you know. We want it now. We want the transformation now. We want something to happen now. A lot of Americans are like that, you know. And so this is taking your time, letting your experience, savoring, moving more slowly, whether it's here or as you leave here and going into your life. Hopefully that'll have some effect. Moving a little more slowly so that we can let things impact us. We can feel the ringing you know, after the event. It's the impact. We're impacted. We cannot not be impacted. <laughs> no matter what you do, how you are, you're not going to avoid that. Even if you sit in a cave for 20 years, there's going to be impact. <laughs> and so this is the, that quality of openness, the quality of welcoming, of invitation, which is love. Which is love. How can it not be love. Love love is open-armed, embracing, welcoming, bringing in. So we do that for our experience and all parts of ourselves and hopefully others and then beyond our communities and beyond our communities. Hopefully this is what we're we're starting to touch and starting to understand and beginning to open to. So it has a lasting impact, lasting ringing.
just as when the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree 2,500 years ago. And then after his awakening, he stood up and decided he would teach what he understood. And that event is still ringing as we sit here, as we are here together, that event is still impacting, still ringing. And we are receiving the blessings of that goodness and that wholesome act that happened so long ago. So... I think I'm going to end there, and I'll end with one more poem from Kalu Rinpoche, one of the great Tibetan masters who passed away some time ago. And these were some of his most profound words of wisdom. He said, We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you understand this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. That is all. Let's just sit quietly for a minute or two. Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.